Welcome to New City Church. This is Matt Freeman, and we are so thankful you are studying the Word of God with us. Jesus founded New City after our forever home, the New Jerusalem from Revelation 21. He wrote our mission statement to foster, strengthen, and grow an unashamed bride looking for Jesus' return. Let's lean completely on the anointing of the Holy Spirit to teach us all things from 1 John 2.27. God is so eager to teach you the depth of his word. Enjoy the study. Hello, New City Church. We are continuing our study in Revelation, the seven letters to the seven churches penned by Jesus himself. And I think it's such an exciting time to be going through the book of the Bible that has the most application to us today. Living in a time in which we live, living in a time of Jesus literally reworking his church coming out of 2020 and the shutdown and everything. And so there really is no more of an exciting time to be reading through and studying verse by verse the letter that culminates all of God's plan for us as his church than right now. So we are in the fifth letter, the letter to Sardis, and it starts in chapter three, verse one. We've gone through letter to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, and now we're in the letter to Sardis. And so I'm just going to open us up and read through this short letter. It's six verses, and then we'll break it and unpack it verse by verse here. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works. That thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain, that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If, therefore, thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And so there we have the letter to Sardis that Jesus penned himself to this church and for us today. And as a quick overview, we've got these four levels of application in each of these seven letters. It really is a letter to a local church that had a real issue in that day and age. It has an application to all churches, which is why it says, He that hath an ear, let him hear the Spirit say, unto the churches, plural. It has a personal application, which is the beginning of that phrase, he that hath an ear, so it has an individual application. And then it lays out in the order of which Jesus wrote these letters, it literally lays out the entire history of the church age in advance by Jesus himself in these big groupings of time periods. And so we had Ephesus as the apostolic church. We had Smyrna as the persecuted church. We had Pergamos as the married church, the church that married the world. Then we had Thyatira through the medieval church. And now here we are in Sardis as the denominational reformation type church. 
Each of these letters also has these seven elements, the name of the church, the title of Jesus used in the letter, the commendation from our Lord, a concern, an exhortation, a promise to the overcomer, and then that closing phrase, he that happened here. And so you have these seven elements in each of the letter, and it's interesting, some of the letters have maybe nothing good said about the church, some of the letters have nothing bad said about the church. And so here today, we're studying a church that has nothing good said about it. And so it's missing that element from the, the, the letter. Okay, let's just unpack this verse by verse here. The name of the church and the title on Jesus in verse 1. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith, here's the title of Jesus, He that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Okay, so the meaning of the, the name Sardis, the, the name of the church and the name of Jesus. The name Sardis, if you try to do research on it, really is a great mystery. There's not a lot out there that says this is exactly what Sardis means. It is literally a name that died at some point, which ties right into the verse, the verse 1 of the letter at the very end. Thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. But Sardis used to be one of the precious stones on the breastplate of the high priest. And now you can't even figure out really what the name of the stone means. So at some point it had a name, but it is dead. Literally the name is dead. Some think it means prince of joy, others say dead worship, but there really is not a single source to say this is what that name is rooted in to mean. And the title of Jesus uses of himself, he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. So remember, each of these names of Jesus through these seven letters is drawn from a title that he uses of himself in chapter one. And it's important to recognize that he has those 24 identifying characteristics and names from chapter 1 that will tie into the 24 elders that we'll read about in chapter 4. And then from that point on, every title of Jesus from chapter 4 until he returns in chapter 19 is very Jewish. It's the root of David. It's, it's the line of the tribe of Judah. So here in the letters to the churches, though, it's a very church name that he draws in. From chapter 1. So the seven spirits of God. They sit before his throne in Revelation chapter 1 verse 4. And they are taken directly from Isaiah 11 2. And there's seven. It's a sevenfold nature of the Holy Spirit. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. So you have the sevenfold nature that's before God's throne. The seven stars are in his hand are the angels of the seven churches from Revelation chapter 1 verse 20. So get the picture when you get when you see him in chapter 1, he has the church, the angels of those churches in his hand and he's literally in the midst of the lampstands which are the church and so he is embodying the church in chapter 1. Okay, so you go on in, in verse 1, the, he goes right into the concern of the church at Sardis. He does not have anything good to say about them. He dives right into, you've got some issues, and we're going to address those and unpack those. And so this is really a scathing letter from Jesus himself to this church. And he closes verse 1 with, I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest, and art dead. And so again, it is as if the name literally died at some point. 
It had a name, but is dead. So the church took on the name of the Lord, and then they squandered it. They did nothing with it. They forsook their ambassadorship. And so when you go back to the third commandment from God in Exodus 20, verse 7, God says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. And so when you take on the name of the Lord, you have to be prepared to represent him faithfully as a true ambassador for his kingdom. And this is nothing to do with cursing or swearing and taking the name of the Lord in that regard. It's, did you take on his name and then do nothing with it? And he says he will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. So here's Jesus holding this church accountable for taking on the name of the Lord and then doing nothing with it. They had a name and were dead. So they took on that name of Jesus and then basically buried it, squandered it, did nothing with it. And it's the same, it's the same admonition that Jesus has for us. Think about the parables of the talent, the one that took his talent and buried it, and Jesus held him accountable for that. So our goal as a church is to take on the name of the Lord and not squander it. So he continues on. This word here, name, in verse 1, is the Greek word onoma, which means being covered by a name. The name is used for everything which the name covers. Everything, the thought or feeling of which is aroused in the mind by mentioning, hearing, remembering the name, i.e. for one's rank, authority, interest, pleasure, command, excellences, deeds, etc. So the name, the label or covering, is the same word used for Jesus when he returns in chapter 19, verse 16. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written. So a anoma written. King of kings and Lord of lords. And that's our, that's our king, Jesus, when he comes back. And we're with him in chapter 19 to come back. And he's going to set up the millennial kingdom on this earth and literally reign from Jerusalem. Like he has that label when he comes back, he has that name, that name that this church took on and that did nothing with it. And so we as saved believers have that label. We are sealed, as in Ephesians would say, as an earnest deposit for redemption by the Lord. And our goal is to not squander that sealing, that endowment from him. Okay, so then they had a name. Thou livest and art dead. So Ephesus in Revelation 2, verse 3, did not let the name die. Jesus says, And hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. And so Ephesus took the name and didn't faint. You know, they took the name faithfully and held true to the name of the Lord and served him in a mighty way. Smyrna, in chapter 2, verse 13, held fast to God's name also. I know thy works and where thou dwellest. Even where Satan's seed is. Remember, this church was persecuted. They were in the middle of Satan persecuting the church and making his seat in Smyrna very comfortable. He was sitting there. And he was dwelling with them. He was attacking them. But the church at Smyrna holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith, even in those days where an Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. So here in Sardis, though they fainted, and let God's name that they that they took, they didn't let it fade away. So they took his name and they didn't let the name fade despite all the persecution. And Sardis has the the opposite 
reaction where they took the name and did nothing with it. Okay, so the, the exhortation from Jesus in verses 2 and 3, he says, Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If, therefore, thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. So look at Jesus' first exhortation to them. It is to be watchful. And this word in the Greek is Gregorio. And it means to give strict attention to, be cautious, active, to take heed, lest through remission and laziness some destructive calamity suddenly overtake you. And so this church was obviously not being watchful. They were getting lazy. And as a result, destructive calamity was going to overtake them. As Jesus alludes to. So in Matthew 26, 40, this is when the, the Lord and with the disciples are, is in the garden of Gethsemane. And he comes to them and, and to the disciples. Remember, he's in the garden. He went to pray. He comes to them and finds them asleep and says unto Peter, what could you not watch with me for one hour? And so again, it's that scathing indictment of you've been walking with me and you've grown weary and you're falling asleep. You're getting lazy. You're drifting away. And the Lord would want us to stay vigilant in our walk with him and stay true and watchful, watchful, ever watching for Jesus. And so in Revelation 16, verse 15, he says, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. So it's interesting. We'll see later in this letter, the reward for the overcomer in this letter will be tied to garments because if that overcomer is watchful, he will not lose his garments and walk in shame. So when you walk with the Lord, yes, trouble, trouble and persecution may come upon you. But when you're watchful and diligent in your walk with God, he always blesses the diligent student, the diligent one that wants to stay with him in fellowship continually. Okay, so the exhortation continued with watchfulness. So it's like the ten virgins in Matthew 25. Remember, they came to the Lord as he's setting up the kingdom and the sheep and goat judgment. All that's going to happen in that 75-day period spoken of in the book of Daniel. And the ten virgins, some had oil and others did not. So some were watchful and some were not. And they let their, their oil be used up, not for the kingdom. They didn't save up to serve the kingdom. So we're also, we're also told in 1 Peter to watch against the attacks of the devil Remember, he roams around as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. It's whom he may is the key word there. He doesn't have access to everyone. It's those that are not watchful or not diligent in their walk or not staying in God's word that are susceptible to being overtaken by the enemy. We're told in Matthew 26 to watch against temptation. Matthew 24 and Mark 13, we're to watch for his return. That's also in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 6. So Matthew 24, here's that verse. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. So look at the connection Jesus is making here. Watch. You don't know what hour your hour come, so watch to make sure you do know when to expect my arrival. And going back up to the verses in Revelation here. Hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief. And so thus the inverse must be true. Okay, if you don't watch, he's going to come on you as a thief. 
which means if you are watching, you will not be surprised when Jesus brings us home as his bride in the rapture. We are to know the season and the signs of his return for us, the bride of Christ. In Mark 13, he simply says, and what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. So false teachers, we're, we're to also watch for false teachers in Acts 20. This was a command to, to Ephesus, the church at Ephesus, to watch for false teachers. And then when we studied that letter in Revelation 2, they heeded the Lord's advice, which is how they shuffled out all of the sheep, the wolves in sheep clothing that had entered their congregation. Okay, this exhortation continued. The second command by the Lord, strengthen, strengthen. It's the Greek word. It literally means to make stable, place firmly, set fast, fix, to strengthen, make firm, to render constant. So to be built on a solid foundation and to render your walk continuously with the Lord or to confirm. In 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 3, but the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. And so the Lord will establish you when you establish yourself in him. And it's that same concept from James, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And so Jesus wants to establish you on a firm foundation to strengthen and, and establish your walk with him, to be lockstep with him. And thus he will place you firmly on the rock that is Jesus. Okay, so look, look at the underlying part of this. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. So he's telling them, be watchful, strengthen those things that remain, which are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. And this is, harkens back to Matthew 7. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven, many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not, and then here's their list of works, prophesied in thy name. In thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And when I will profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And so here's a group of people trying to justify themselves by works. And God is tying it right here to Sardis that I've not found your works perfect because they are faithless. You're doing them in vain. You're doing works just to do works. You're not doing works to serve me. Okay, so then in order to remember, look at the end of this verse, the tail end of verse 3 at the start here. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard. So in order to remember, Jesus is telling them, remember something you've received. To remember, it assumes that you have heard the word of God at some point. It means you've read and clung to his instructions at some point, or else you wouldn't have something as a basis to remember. And so notice that if you do not watch Jesus' return to take the bride home in the rapture, it will come on you as a thief. So he's saying, hey, remember my word. My word, my command was to be watchful and strengthen yourself in my word so that you know the signs of my return. You will be watching and it won't overtake you as a thief in the night. So he's, tell, he's telling them, remember where you've been. Remember what you once clung to. And again, we mentioned this a second ago, but if you, by being in God's word and strengthening yourself in his word, if that can allow you to, if you don't do that, if that allows you to be overtaken as a thief, it must mean that if you're doing it, you won't be. 
And so if you do watch, then you will know what hour he will come. You will see and recognize the signs, the prophetic signs of the seasons that have been spoken about biblically since the foundation of the world. So a concept here, being watchful and knowing about and not being surprised about the return of Jesus. This goes all the way back to a concept that's in the Bible cover to cover that starts in Genesis. He always delights in sharing his plans with those who are watchful. And so think about Abraham and Sarah with Sodom and Gomorrah. Jesus and two angels are with them. And Jesus tells them, is Abraham not our friend? Should we not tell him what we're about to do? And so he makes that link right there of someone that's close to God and God wanting to share with him what they're about to do. Then you take that a step further with Daniel. He's the only prophet in the Old Testament that's spoken of as the beloved, the beloved prophet. And Daniel is the one that gets the greatest end times vision in the book of Daniel of any other prophet in the Old Testament. And so there you have that link again of God loving him, of him being in fellowship with the Lord, and yet the Lord revealing to his beloved what he is about to do. And then you carry that to the New Testament. There was one disciple that Jesus called the loved, and that was John, the Apostle John. He's also the one that wrote Revelation. So there you have that connection again. He gets the greatest end times vision of anyone in the Bible, and the Lord shares with him because he's the loved, the beloved disciple, John himself. Okay, in verse 4, Jesus continues with this exhortation. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments. And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Now, they're worthy because he's worthy. It's not, it's not they're worthy on their own. It's because they've taken on the name of the Lord and they haven't squandered it. And so they are worthy because Jesus is worthy. And so there were a few in Sardis which had not lost their faith. They were not falling asleep. They took the Lord's name, and they didn't take it in vain. And so they didn't leave their watch. And so enduring and finishing strong for the Lord is the name of the game. It's what we were all to do. All of these great men in the Bible, very, very few of them finished strong and boldly. And it goes back to just even think about the walk with the children of Israel in numbers, there were 600, over 600,000 men of warrior age, past the age of accountability, delivered out of Egypt. And they had women, wives, children with them. So there was easily probably a couple million people God brought out of Egypt. And yet only two of them stayed faithful to enter the promised land. So two out of two million. It's a very low percentage of people that actually cling to God and don't let up. But that's what the Lord would have us do, is to walk with him and cling to him, endure and finish strong. In Revelation 16, verse 15, again, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. You know, it's amazing how many people lost their footing with the Lord in the Bible. And they're chronicled throughout all of history in not the best of light. I mean... Solomon himself, Jesus, there's not a lot good is said about Solomon in the New Testament, if you just pay attention to that. But David, even though he stumbled, he was a man after God's own heart because he was constantly trying to repent and get back to God. So these that kept their garments were blessed and continue to be so with Jesus later on in the tribulation. Those that are saved in the tribulation that keep their garments and walk with him. That's what the Lord's talking about here in chapter 16. 
Okay, so towards the end of the letter here, we have the promise to the overcomer and that closing phrase. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. So here it is tied to those garments again. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So again, who is the overcomer? 1 John 5, verses 4 and 5. For whatsoever is born of God, remember, you have to be born again. It's the dialogue that Jesus had with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. You must be born again. So here's the overcomer. Who, for whatsoever is born of God, overcometh the world. And that this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. So if you are saved, you are an overcomer. You have an opportunity for these blessings from the Lord. In every letter to the seven churches, he that overcometh. And then there's a blessing tied to it for faithful service. And so that's what we're studying right now. This, this promise here to the church of Sardis is he that overcometh shall be clothed in white raiment. Okay, saved and held onto by Jesus. And notice again that the closing phrase is at the end of the letter. It finishes the letter. So the first three we looked at, um, the letters to Ephesus, Smyrna, and Pergamos, have the closing phrase before the promise to the overcomer. And then the promise to the overcomer was almost like a postscript, a PS in the letter. Then Thyatira and now Sardis have the closing phrase at the end of the letter, after the reward to the overcomer. And so you have this closing phrase, that structure that Jesus is using. It's also the second letter that has an explicit reference to the return of our Lord. And so he referenced that in Thyatira, he references it here in Sardis. And so it's just interesting that he closes the letter with this phrase, but in the body of the letter, there's a specific reference to the return of Jesus. So structurally, what's going on here is he's saying somehow these churches from Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, which will be next week, and Laodicea will endure it somehow to the end because they have explicit references to his return and then uh, the closing phrase is at the end of the letter. Okay, the promise of the overcomer and the closing phrase continues. So blotting out your name, I'm going to talk about this for a little bit. Look at this promise by the Lord that's very significant. I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. And so blotting out your name from the Lamb's book of life, this is a a concept in the Bible that you've got to pay attention to. So here's an example. In Exodus 32, verse 33, And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book, the book of life, the book that gets you into heaven. And so all through the Old Testament, when you're sensitive to this, those that reject the Lord once and for all, God uses this scathing phrase that I must blot them out of my book, meaning they had to be written there. And so it ties directly to God paving a way for everyone that's ever been born on this earth to be saved. He knew you before the foundation of the world. He wrote your name in the Lamb's book of life. Jesus paved a way. We're going to look at a lot of verses here in a minute that prove this or restate this in a different way. But Jesus paved a way for you to appropriate the provision for your sin to your life. Jesus did that. And the question is, do you appropriate it or not? If you don't, then he has no choice but to blot you out of his book. 
He paved a way for you to have fellowship with him. If you reject him, he has to blot you out. That's what's going on here. And so the Lord has your name. If you have a, a loved one, a family member, a friend, a coworker, anyone in your life that is not saved, their name is in that Lamb's Book of Life, and they're just waiting. Jesus is waiting eagerly for them to appropriate the remedy, the payment for their sin to their life. You know, nobody goes to hell because, because they don't, nobody goes to hell for their sin. They go to hell because they don't appropriate the remedy for their sin. Okay, so the other verse I want to cover, go back one slide, Ron. The other verse I want to cover, uh, Psalms 139. So this is one of my favorite verses about this. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my numbers were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. And so look at the poetic language by the Lord himself, that he sees you, yet you're unperfect, meaning you have not accepted him yet. You're about to be born into this world, and in his book, all your members were written, the members of your body, this very soul and being of you is fashioned by him, fearfully and wonderfully made, and he pinned you by the blood of Jesus in the Lamb's Book of Life, and in your book you were written when as yet there was none of you. You weren't on this earth yet, but yet he had you in mind before the foundation of the world, and in his book he wrote about you. He had your name in mind, and he had a relationship with you in mind. So you were written in the Lamb's Book of Life before you were fearfully and wonderfully made in the womb. And when he hung on that cross, he, he had you and your name in mind. And so we're going to talk about this at the close in just a few minutes. So what was missing from the letter to Sardis? There was no commendation. There was nothing good said about this church. They just jumped right into, Jesus just jumps right into, hey, there's a lot of bad things going on here that we need to address. So Sardis was in a strategic location between Pergamos, Smyrna, Ephesus, and Philadelphia. So you have these cities, and Sardis is right there in this location between them in modern-day Turkey. And the city set up on a very high cliff. So on three sides, it had these thousand-foot walls that kind of came up, and there really was only one way, or so they thought, into the city on this main road that went up through the mountains. And so they had these three walls, and at the base flowed the river, this river, which almost served as a moat around their city. So there was only one way to enter, and thus they thought there was no way the city would ever fall. They thought because of the moat and the walls that they figured were unscalable, if they defended this one entrance, they thought they would be good. The city would never fall. And so you can see there was a lot of arrogance and pride and stubbornness built up in their heart about how they thought the, the city was structured. But the cliffs were made of clay, and they suffered erosion over the years, and the mud then left these crevices and cracks where the enemy could get a foothold. And with this foothold and getting a handhold, they could scale these walls. And through these many battles, the city was finally conquered by the Seleucid Empire in about 200 years before Jesus in 214 BC. 
And then later, this gigantic earthquake actually wiped out a lot of the cities in the area around 17 AD. But the city became really synonymous with this false confidence that heralded ruin in their lives. So they were falsely putting their confidence in earthly defenses. Okay, do you see the parallel? They were falsely confident in these earthly defenses, and because of their height, okay, because of the pride built up in their heart, it was making them high and lofty in their esteem, they fell because they weren't being watchful about these walls that they thought were indefensible, or, or unscalable, I should say. They thought they were impregnable. Okay, this is kind of some pictures of what it looks like today. It's just ruins on a, on a hill, but at the bottom left, you can see the walls, and they built this wall kind of going up the road, and the bottom right, you can get kind of a better picture of some of it, what it looked like. But kind of a mountainous region, big cliffs, had a valley one way in, and they had a lot of false confidence that thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. What a, what a scathing indictment from the Lord. Okay, going through the applications here, the personal application. We had Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamus, Thyatira. Sardis is to remain faithful, ever watching to Jesus. Remember, Ephesus neglected, they lost their first love, so they neglected their priorities. Smyrna was withstanding satanic opposition. They were the persecuted church. Pergamus was avoiding spiritual compromise by not marrying the world, and Thyatira did not let that Jezebel spirit uproot in that perverted marriage from Pergamus. So that Jezebel spirit was rising up. And then Sardis now is saying, despite all of that, please remain faithful and watch for Jesus. And it's the same application to us as the church to remain diligent in teaching God's word and to, and to have watchfulness. Okay, so it's interesting. I found this interesting as we were studying through this. You know, Jesus gave us the mission statement for New City Church. And the mission statement's simple, to foster, strengthen, and grow an unashamed bride for Jesus' return. And as I was going back through my notes, I wrote down something on October the 7th, 2020, that Jesus spoke to me. And he followed it up with, after the mission statement with this statement. He said, New City, it's a bride that is no longer lukewarm but operates under the full authority of Jesus and is ever watching for the bridegroom to bring us home. And so it's that I found it fascinating going back and looking through these notes of how his mission statement and statements to us and the founding of the church tied into that watchfulness in ever watching and being an unashamed bride where you don't deny Jesus, you don't deny his name, but you're a faithful and true bride ever watching for that bridegroom to call us home. So, the letter to Sardis, Jesus died for and wants salvation for everyone. We talked about this blotting out, this promise from the Lord that he would not blot out your name. Okay, so this theme is all through the Bible. And here's just a selection of verses from the New Testament. But in 1 Timothy 2, verses 3 and 4, For this is a good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. So there you have a declaration from the Lord that he would have all men to be saved. That includes all of your loved ones that are not currently. John 3.16, the most famous verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world. It doesn't say for God so loved a select group of people that he would only die for them. No, God loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever 
You know, your loved one that doesn't know the Lord, or you if you're watching this around the world, if you don't know the Lord, you are a whosoever. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And look what the declaration of the Lord says, but have everlasting life. Not for a little bit until you mess it up. Not for just a short season until you blow it and, and forget his name again. No, you have it. If you believe in him and on his son that died for you, your name is per permanently blocked in that Lamb's book of life, never to be blotted out again. You have everlasting life. You shall not perish. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Hebrews 2.9, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Not again, for a select few, for everyone. It goes back to that Lamb's Book of Life. The names are all there. And if you reject the Lord, he has to blot it out because you can't have fellowship with him unless you appropriate the remedy that God provided. In 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Okay, all should come to repentance. You can't come to repentance until you're saved. Thus, he wants all to be saved. And so his will in 1 John 5, anything you pray in the will of the Father, he hears you. He hears you from heaven. And in 2 Peter 3 and all these verses, clearly his will is to have all men to be saved. Look back at 1 Timothy, who will have all men to be saved. So when you are praying for the salvation of a loved one, a friend, a co-worker, anyone in your life that you know, when you're praying for their salvation, you are literally praying the will of God. And he hears you from heaven and goes out and starts to act on that will. So, if you do not know Jesus and want to make sure your name is not blotted out of the Lamb's Book of Life, it's very simple. Romans 10, 9, our salvation verse every week, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved, period. It doesn't say thou shalt be saved as long as you continue it. Or walk steadfast in my name. Or all of that's tied to the rewards of the overcomer. Nothing to do with salvation. Believe and confess and you shall be saved. And you have a stamp, a one-way ticket to eternity with the one that breathed you into existence. That knew you before your members were even formed in the womb. And fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. So you can make sure your name forever remains in the Lamb's Book of Life. So he wants to clothe you in white garment and welcome you to your forever home. In Isaiah 118, come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your, skin, your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be wool. So you have Jesus' blood in the Lamb's Book of Life written with your name in it. And when you accept him, it's almost like God just traces over it with this white that it just blots out that sin, that blood that's red as crimson shall be white as snow. And you have forever have a home with Jesus. He went to prepare a place for us in John 14. 
And he's going to come and bring us back home. And we're going to have eternal fellowship with him. We're going to have responsibilities in a kingdom. We're going to do things with the Lord. And he wants you to be a part of that kingdom. So if you don't know him, it's simple. If you need more help to understand it, reach out to one of us here at the church. You know, send us an email. Write us a message on our post. Make a comment on our video. Whatever. Someone will get in touch with you. And so with that, next week we'll stay the letter to Philadelphia. And we'll just close in a word of prayer. Thank you guys so much. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for pinning these letters to the seven churches. Thank you for the promises that we can hold on to, God, that you are in control. And you are a rewarder of them that diligently seek you, as you declare in Hebrews. And so, Lord, just know that here at New City Church, no matter our size, no matter who comes into this door, we as a church body are diligently seeking you. And Jesus, if there is anyone out there watching this all around the world that does not know you personally, I pray right now that you would come forward and that you would save them from the uttermost. That, God, you would take them out of the grips of death and that, Lord, you would make their name permanent in the Lamb's Book of Life and that you would never again have them at risk to be blotted out. And so, Lord, we are praying your will and we know that you will act on that from 1 John 5. We love you, Jesus. Prepare us for the week ahead. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you all so much. Have a blessed week.